Many people have random talents. Do you, you know what I mean by a random talents? There's, there's talents out there, like um, being able to fix a computer. That would not be a random talent. That would be a, a good talent. Uh, being an athlete, that would be a talent. Um, being able to just absorb information and just learn and, and being able to, to take tests well, that's, that's talent. But I'm talking about a random talent that doesn't really have any use in life, but something maybe that's unique to you, that, that you can do by yourself. Um, uh, for example, I, I, and this isn't really a talent, I guess, because it's useless. It's not something that really benefits anybody or society at all, um, but it's something unique to me that maybe only a few people can do. Um, I can jump up and touch the ceiling. No, I can't do that. Um, but I can, I can kind of sound like Donald Duck. I'm the Donald Duck pitch one. Okay, so it's useless. It won't help anybody in life unless Disney signs me. Then I can use that money for our new church building. Um, but it, it doesn't help anything except maybe make Titus laugh every once in a while and him think I'm cool until he turns three and realizes it's annoying. <laughs> maybe you have a, a random talent like that that doesn't really... Uh, help society at all, but it's unique to you. Uh, growing up, our siblings, we'd always, you know, we have rivalries and we try to outdo each other with uh, sports, with uh, being, uh, just being talented, I guess, playing, uh, uh, playing board games and trying to win in certain events. But my dad had this talent that I've never heard of anybody really being able to do. And I'm sure, I'm sure people can uh, but this is a talent where the doctor says he's able to use a certain part of his brain, all right? The part of maybe that some people aren't able to use as, as well. And my dad can speak backwards as close or as, almost as common, as easily as he could speak forward. And what I mean by that, and I can't give you an example because there's a whole part of my brain I don't even know how to use. <laughs> Uh, or even access, so I, you know, my brain's not quite as large as my dad's. But my dad, he could, uh, I know my name backwards, my name is Yimit Neblin Roliat. And because my dad used to say that name all the time, that's Timothy Melvin Taylor backwards. And he could just see the word in his mind and he can just spell it backwards. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And it's useless, it can't help society at all, and it uh, won't cure cancer or anything, but it's a cool talent for my dad, speaking backwards. Perhaps. My nickname growing up was Mitt, because it's Tim backwards. That's an easy one. I could remember that. Doing things backwards is interesting, but it's not usually the norm. You don't usually wear your, your pants on backwards, unless you're a two-year-old trying to be funny, or you just are oblivious. Or maybe you get your shoes mixed up when you're younger. But as you get older, you don't usually do things backwards. Normally, we try to blend in. We try to fit in. We don't usually want to stand out. We don't usually want to, uh, everybody to be looking at us. And there's a few people out there that love all the attention of the world upon them. But generally speaking, we, we don't want to be uh, backwards in society. We want to kind of go with the flow, if you will. And being backwards is something that when we consider someone in the Bible and how events played out, it's easy for us to step back and look at it and say, that is humanly backwards. It wasn't done the way it should have been done. It, it was reverse, if you will. 
And of course, we read Luke chapter 2. You know who I'm talking about. It's easy for us to look at Jesus Christ and say he did it backwards. In fact, you could even go as far as to call Jesus the backwards king. And I don't mean that in disrespect. But let me explain what I mean by the backwards king. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 3, we find the first thing that Jesus did that we would consider backwards is he was born in a stable. He was born in a stable. It says in verse 7 of chapter 2, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. I imagine if I was the innkeeper, and if I could just go back, and somebody could just tell me as the innkeeper that this, that this, this little girl and her soon-to-be husband, she, she was carrying the Messiah. I wonder if he had known that and truly understood it, what he would have done for those two, what he would have cleared out. I mean, the very least, he would have given up his house, I'm sure. And, he, and his kid said, honey, we're going to go out to the barn tonight. Why? I'll explain later, but just pack up your stuff. We're going. I imagine if he really, truly knew who that was, he may have cleared out the entire inn. Just said, sorry, guys, you're going to have to sleep on the street tonight because the king is here. In fact, all you need to give up your belongings and give it to this poor family because he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. You know, when a king is born, how is a king normally born? Well, it's not born as a king, per se. usually starts out as a, a prince, right? A queen, uh, king and queen have a, have a child. And when, the, when it comes, when it's born, there's a celebration. On that king's first, on the prince's first birthday, it, you know, they, oftentimes it's a big celebration. The king wants to know, this is my heir, especially if it's the firstborn, as is the case with Jesus. It would be a big deal. Birthdays oftentimes are big deals. Mine is coming up soon. In July. July 14. Don't forget. July 14. It's on the church calendar, I think. When a king is born, it's oftentimes a major big event. But let me ask you a very simple question. Was Jesus' a big event? No. I mean, there was a heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Oh, up in heaven, oh, there was a celebration Probably the biggest one that ever had happened up to that point. But on earth, it was silent. It was unnoticed. It was, for the most part, unknown. He just kind of slipped in. The king. When we think of this concept of the king of kings and the lord of lords, when you think of a hierarchy of people back in even ancient times, there was this person, that person, this person, and in the very, very top of that hierarchy, there's the king. No one was higher than the king or the pharaoh or the Caesar. They were the, the top. But Jesus was the king of the top. He was above. There, there was no hierarchy. There's the world, and then God is just above it all. He is the king of all kings. And he decided to slip in unnoticed in a stable. Could have been unnoticed in a nice house, 
<laughs> could have been unnoticed in even a corner of a palace. It could have been anywhere, but he chose to be born in a stable. I would call that a little backwards, wouldn't you? Jesus was, first of all, born in a stable. But I'd like to point out another feature of Christ that would be backwards to us. And if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Not only was Jesus born in a stable, but secondly, Jesus became a servant. A servant. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is, to some, perhaps the greatest characteristic of our Lord Jesus Christ. The king of kings was born in a stable, but not only that, his life was lived as a servant. When you think of a king today, the highest person, you don't usually think of them as a servant, but you usually think of them as being served too. They would be the ones to have the servants. They are the ones that are able to afford. Back in, the, back in these days, you had to have a little bit of money to have a servant. Usually a servant, and in some cases, was the, the lowest. It was uh, the poorest. Servants would sell themselves oftentimes for money because they didn't have anything. Now, sometimes they were able to be a servant to somebody who had lots of wealth, and that servant would become quite wealthy. But a servant and a king, they, they weren't equals ever. Consider in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 3, I'll read it for you, but consider the Pharaoh and his pride. In Exodus chapter 10 and verse 3, And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself? Pharaoh was beaten many times over. Plague after plague after plague, Pharaoh and his, his magicians, his minions, could not compare the power of God because their power came from God, what little that God allowed them to have. And they were beaten time and time again. But what was stopping Pharaoh from, from doing what he did? Well, God hardened his heart. But deep within his heart as a Pharaoh, he refused to humble himself. Why? Because to Pharaoh, the strength of a man was judged by his substance. To Pharaoh, riches and honor, dignity, was what made him a great person. If he had given up the Hebrews, he would have been giving up part of his power and his wealth and submitting to another. And that was something he couldn't do. He couldn't submit himself 
He couldn't let go and admit that he lost something. He had lost a battle. It was difficult for him to do. Jesus Christ came to earth and he submitted himself. He submitted himself. And it dumbfounded the Pharisees at times. It dumbfounded people. And they couldn't understand why Jesus would come in the form of a servant. Maybe one reason why people missed him. Because they were expecting the palace king. They were expecting the all-powerful king, which, by the way, he was. But he didn't, need to, he didn't need to show that. Jesus was born in a stable, a little backwards. He became a servant. It's a little different, a little backwards. Now turn with me back over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. He was born in a stable. He became a servant. Matthew 17, we find another thing backwards to our Lord Jesus is he lacked in substance. He lacked in riches. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 24, the Bible says in Matthew 17 and verse 24, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute, money, came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tributes? He saith, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tributes? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, uh, Of strangers? Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, don't you wish, that take and give unto them for me and thee. My wife's uh, dad, Mr. Brother Ramos, he said, it's one reason why he loves fishing so much. He's trying to be biblical, and he's trying to find a coin in the fish's mouth. Jesus was demonstrating what the Pharisees were not. Jesus was backwards. He came in a stable. He was a servant, and he didn't have anything. <laughs> he didn't have any substance. The wise men were able to give him some gifts, per se, but Jesus grew up humble as a carpenter. A respectable occupation to have, no doubts, but he wasn't known for his riches or his wealth, as a king normally would, especially an all-powerful king, a king with the wisdom that he had. Jesus was 12 years old in the temple, confounding the Pharisees and the doctors, Jesus had the ability, of course, and the wisdom to make money, but he didn't, he didn't need that. In fact, when he needed a coin, he just said, well, go grab it from the fish's mouth. It just showed you that he had the money, but that wasn't why he was there. Jesus was demonstrating what the Pharisees were not demonstrating. Jesus was living the best life, the life of a servant. Most people assume that riches and honor is the best life. But is it? Because in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus says, For whosoever will save his life shall what? Shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Jesus had to come down and be an example because people were looking up to the religious leaders of that time and they were failing miserably. The Pharisees were the ones that would openly pray with their arms open and, oh Lord, bless me and bless this. And yet Jesus was saying, don't be like them. Be like that guy on the ground with his face to the ground in agony of his sin to God. Be like him. Jesus had to straighten out the Pharisees. Jesus didn't have anything. But a king should, shouldn't they? I mean, a king should have something. Should have a nice house, should be looked upon. People should at least acknowledge he was there. But he didn't even have that. In fact, in Matthew 21, Jesus, when he, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what did he ride on? A white steed? A horse? What did he ride on? Donkey. That's not something a king would normally ride on. One day, we will all stand before God. And when we do, and you present your wealth and your power, and you present your dignity to God, and you offer it to him and say, Lord, this is what I've gained on earth. The Lord won't even reach out his hand to take that. The Lord will say, I have power. I have wealth. I have dignity. I didn't ask you to live your life for those things. What did you do for me? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Not only was Jesus born in a stable, not only did he become a servant, not only did he lack in substance, but in Matthew chapter 4, and you don't necessarily have to turn there, but I want you to point out something else about a king, is that Jesus, his friends were simple. His friends were simple. But when you're a king, you hang out with other royals, so to speak. You, you have your brothers who are, you know, princes and princesses, and then you have maybe your uncles. You know, and usually when you're in royalty, you're kind of born into that society, and everyone around you is also royalty, so to speak. Generally, your dad as the king isn't going to let you go down to the streets and play with uh, the poor kids. Maybe not even because uh, he doesn't like you to be with them, but oftentimes it wasn't safe for a king to be traveling around. They had to be protected, especially a prince, the heir to the throne. So it was very different. It was very backwards for the king of kings and lord of lords to come to earth to not have anything and also to just have real simple friends. Who were his friends? Well, <laughs> Well, we know Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they were the sons of Zebedee. What was their occupation? They were fishermen. That's pretty simple. It's a simple life. The life of a fisherman. We see that in Matthew 4. Uh, we also know that Matthew, or otherwise known as Levi, he was a what? He was a tax collector. Well, that's not very royal, although they probably were, helped the royals make money, I suppose. But, you know, that wasn't really a noble position, maybe, so to speak. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It was, uh, it was, it was Matthew, the tax clerk, that, that Jesus said, follow me. What did Matthew say? Yeah, one second, Lord. No, the Bible says he stood up and he followed Jesus. What about Simon? We don't really know his occupation, but he was, the Bible called the, Simon the zealot. They were known for their political uh, politics and anarchy and attempting sometimes to overthrow their Roman governments. Uh, you know, not usually a friend you want to hang out with, guy that's uh, living life on the edge, possibly. If you, if, I mean, if the king got pulled into anarchy, that's, you know, the prince, that's not really looking good for his name. That may be somebody you would normally want to associate with, perhaps. We know who Judas was. 
He was a thief. He was a liar. He wasn't a good, he wasn't a good friend to have. Although it seemed to have played the part pretty well at first. But Jesus knew who he was. And he still spent three years with him. We don't really know the occupations of the other disciples that was around Christ. Maybe some of them had more noble positions. I tend to think not. Not only to mention this, but who did Jesus hang out with when he wasn't with his disciples, or, or even when he was? In Mark chapter 2 and verse 15, it says that it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also with, together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, uh, well, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners when Jesus heard it? He saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Say, as a doctor, it's my duty to not hang out with healthy people, but my job is to help the sick. Jesus' friends were maybe not what you think a king's would be. They were simple. Jesus had something else that was backwards. In John chapter 10, the Bible says that the King of kings and the Lord of lords willingly suffered. He willingly suffered. How many kings do you know would willingly allow their life to be lived in misery? knowing that they could change that. Did Jesus have to live the life that he did? Well, doctrinally, you may debate that. But from a human perspective, Jesus did have the power to change a few things, perhaps. John chapter 10 and verse 14, the Bible says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received, of my Father. Herein perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is important to understand. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he was crucified. Now we know that. But it's important to understand that Jesus allowed himself to die. It wasn't an accident. Judas didn't catch him off guard. It wasn't, it, things didn't just not work out for Christ in the end. It was planned from the beginning. He came to die. What king is grew, raised up to son someday you're going to die young. That's the life of a king. No. King's job, protection, and some kings are noble enough to go into battle and to willingly perhaps risk their life for their country. But Jesus, the way he died, didn't seem very noble, did it? He didn't die charging the enemy on the front lines, trying to protect his nation from the enemy. Jesus was 
mutilated on a cross between two thieves while soldiers were laughing at him, while they were gambling underneath the cross for the, his robe. That wasn't the way a king should die. That was a com- that's completely backwards. That doesn't make any sense. And to make even less sense is the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus was not killed as every other king has been killed. Every king to ever live this earth has died. They, they, they were either murdered, perhaps, or just old age itself killed them. Just life itself killed. But Jesus was the one king that actually gave his life. He gave it. In fact, in Luke 23, verse 44, he said these last words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He gave it up. We watched a video this morning in Sunday school class. And there was a Roman soldier depicting as, as if he was there that day. And he made this comment. He said, most people hang on the cross, sometimes for days before dying. But it was as if he just said, I'm done. And he gave up the ghost. Why? Because he said, it is finished. He could have hung in there a lot longer, but he didn't need to. Because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, the king also was something a little different than what we're used to. This king, Jesus, he never sinned. He was perfect. I don't need to dwell on this very long. We know that's backwards. What prime minister has ever lived a perfect life? What king, what ruler has ever done nothing wrong? That was our Lord Jesus Christ. He was perfect. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I mean, that's kind of backwards to have a king to never make a mistake, to never mess up. To think that he never made a mistake, yet he did everything backwards. That must have meant it was all plans. It all happened the way it was supposed to. But the last thing that I, look, I want us to see tonight, that Jesus did backwards. Or so the life he lived. This concept of a king is that Jesus was sovereign. Jesus, he rose from the dead. What if the king did that? What other person can do that? Oh, a doctor might be able to, after a few seconds, someone's pulse is gone, maybe be able to, quote, bring them back to life. But how many people have been dead for three days and then raised themselves from the dead? Try that. Raise yourself when you don't have a pulse for three days. In Mark chapter 16, in verse 1, If I can have you turn there, this will be our last passage. In Mark chapter 16, in verse 1. Jesus, our King, is sovereign. Despite everything that we have going for us right now. In Mark chapter 16, in verse 1, the Bible says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Mark chapter 16 and verse 2. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Look at verse 4. 
And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened. And he said unto them, Be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you in, into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he, said, as he said unto you. You understand tonight, there is absolutely nothing that happens in this universe that is outside God's influence and authority. As King of kings and Lord of lords, God has no limitations. Consider just a few verses that claim the sovereignty of our, our great king. In Revelation 21 and verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Colossians 1:15, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. And Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 32, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arms. There is nothing too hard for thee. That's what being sovereign means. It means being the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. Our king may have been backwards, and he may have willingly suffered and died, but he rose himself from the dead. And if I could add that to the list, I think that's the most backwards thing of them all. He was able to raise himself from the dead. And our king that lived 2,000 years ago is still alive today. Does that make sense? That's backwards. Only God can make these claims. Therefore, it's God's sovereignty that makes him superior to all other lowercase g gods and makes him and him alone worthy of worship. But was Jesus actually backwards? I mean, think about it. In reality, who's backwards? Was Jesus backwards? Or perhaps we're backwards? You see, in the eyes of the Lord, Jesus, as a king, did everything wrong. But in reality, he did everything right. It turns out that Christmas isn't just the story of God doing upside-down things. After all, instead, Christmas is the story of God putting everything the way it was supposed to be. It's the beginning of the great reversal of sins being forgiven and sinners being restored and everything being put into its proper place. 
Want to know why? Because as God's sons, we are his children. We are the child of the king. And we are supposed to live our lives in humility. We are supposed to live our lives as a servant and not look down upon other people, but instead prefer to look up. It is we that should humble ourselves, not like Pharaoh. And as we that should not be so consumed with substance and, and, and riches and, and, and gaining honor and dignity and having this and having that and working so hard to have this and that, we spend so much of our time trying to make ourselves look good and we forget about the one that created us. It was Jesus that was trying to come to earth to set the example of how we were supposed to live. It was Jesus that chose a donkey instead of a horse. It was Jesus that chose his friends. He didn't care about the friends that were famous, that were wealthy. He wanted to be around the people that would make him better or that he could help be better. He was around the disciples to train and to teach them how they should live their life. Jesus wasn't spending time with the Pharisees because they weren't going to listen. They didn't believe him anyway. Jesus didn't have time for them. He said his peace. He said he was supposed to say. He went back over to the disciples and he kept teaching and nourishing and training as they were supposed to. Jesus willingly suffered. Because that was, that's what his father wanted him to do. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was on his knees and blood was pouring from his head? He said, Lord, if it be thy will, but I know it is your will. So let thy will be done. And he went to the cross. He suffered because that's what God wanted him to do. Because that's what he came to earth to do. And sometimes through life we want to do everything we can to not suffer. But sometimes that's just how it goes. Jesus never sinned. Well... You could skip this one, right? Well, what are we doing to be sinless? What are we doing to live our lives in perfection? What are we doing to mask ourselves that unto Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is sovereign. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of lords. So when we consider today who's really backwards, the life that we live on a constant basis is oftentimes completely backwards. As we look at that baby in the manger again, really is great because what greatness really looks like is humility. He really is the king of kings because God's true king came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This little baby is putting everything right ways up Again, you've heard this, this saying before, but if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer, but our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. I heard this song a while back, and it's kind of actually, I don't even know where the song came from, but the song is actually what sort of inspired the message this evening. And the song goes something like this. Follow the star to a place unexpected. Would you believe, after all we've projected, a child in a manger? Lowly and small, the weakest of all, unlikeliest hero wrapped in his mother's shawl, just a child. Is this who we've waited for? Because how many kings stepped down from their thrones 
How many lords abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to love a world that is all torn apart? How many fathers gave up their son for me? He only wanted that for me. How much are we like Christ today? Are we backwards or are we right side up? Pastor.